My name is Jason Schubert. Uh, I'm also one of the elders here. We're glad you are with us worshiping on this uh, Lord's Day, especially our visitors. If we haven't got a chance to meet you. Uh, we've been working our way through the book of Romans. Um, we'll find ourselves in chapter 8 this morning. Um, and as you're turning there, uh, one of the things that will hopefully begin to make some connections in this passage um, uh, I've been thinking about uh, a lot of our Coasties this, uh, this week, and what I've learned since being here is that certain tests you take are incredibly significant, because uh, in order to stay in the Coast Guard at some point, once you, uh, you've been in for so many years, you have to advance, you have to progress survive or in advance. It's, it's the only thing you can do. If you, if you don't pass your test, if you don't make a certain rank, if you don't continue to progress and move forward, well, there's probably not a place in the Coast Guard for you. They're going to uh, ask you to, to leave, or in the words of somebody I talked to this morning, they're going to kick you out. Uh, and sometimes uh, we can begin to take that Coast Guard mentality into our relationship with the Lord. We might sometimes begin to believe that our relationship with God, our right standing with Him, our justification, that language Paul has used, is contingent and dependent upon, is based upon our progress in the Christian life, our advancement in the Christian life, our ability to overcome the struggle that we find ourselves battling with sin. Uh, it would make sense that this would be something that Paul would want to address, especially in light of what we saw last week at the end of chapter 7 in the book of Romans, where Paul was, you know, he's been explaining to us through this, this letter in this book that he's written to the church in Rome about the good news of the gospel, that our righteousness comes not through what we've done, but through what God has done for us through Christ. Uh, that through the work of Jesus, the penalty for sin has been taken away. Its power has been broken. But the presence of sin continues to be in the world and in the lives of believers. And we saw Paul last week talking about his experience and our experience, this ongoing battle that we face and struggle with sin in this world. And we saw that for Paul, in the midst of, of viewing this ongoing struggle that he had, uh, of the things that he wanted to do, of not being able to do it, and at times feeling overwhelmed with this battle against sin that he calls out, longing for deliverance, longing for God to work and move in his life. And if you find yourself in a, in a, a place in your life, uh, in a period of time where that battle with sin has been intense and the struggle has been relentless and you are wondering, am I making any progress at all? I feel so overwhelmed at my own inability to live rightly before God. And you may begin to wonder, is there a chance that my relationship with God will be revoked? Could, could my justification come to an end? Or, or beginning to think, 
Is my justification, is my relationship with the Lord based on, rooted in, my progress in the Christian life? Because if it is, I'm resting incredibly uneasy. And especially in light of the battle with sin that we all face. Is that true? Is that how it works? Is our justification, is our relationship with God, the status that we have in Him, dependent upon, grounded in our progress in the Christian life? Let's see what Paul says. I believe as we look here, we're going to find hope. Hope for those who are struggling with sin. So if you would, look with me. We're in chapter 8, this letter to the church of Rome. Uh, We're looking at verses 1 through 11 this morning. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 944. So please follow along with me there in your copy of God's Word. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh. But in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. Let's pray. God, you know the ongoing battle and struggle that we, your people, have with sin. We thank you for the provision that you've given us in Christ, your Spirit, and in your Word. We pray this morning that all the means that you have given your people to rest in You, to grow, to be further conformed to the image of Christ, that You would be working that in us this morning. Use this passage. Give us confidence and hope in Jesus as we await His restoring of all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Somebody asked me this morning if if I was going to have the kids draw a picture uh, for their notes. And yes, you can, you can draw one. Uh, I'll talk about this later, but you can go ahead and begin drawing your picture now and then see how to label it. I want you to draw a picture of people in a lazy river at a water park. 
draw a picture of some people in a lazy river at a water park, and uh, you'll see how it relates when we get further in the sermon. So, does, does my ongoing struggle and battle with sin, is that evidence that justification hasn't taken hold in my life? That it isn't working? Or that I've lost it and God's removed it? Paul here says, no. We must remember that the foundation of our justification is never rooted and based upon our progress in the Christian life. Hear hear it again. Your relationship with God is not based upon or grounded in your progress, your success in the Christian life. Notice here how Paul says that. Flowing right out of this passage he's just been talking about, about the overwhelming battle and struggle he has with sin. Hear the good news. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Again, he he goes on. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There's no condemnation, Paul says. Those sins that you are struggling with, if you are in Christ, remember Paul continues to bring this language up, if you are united to Jesus through faith, if He is your representative, the one who stands before you and for you, there is no condemnation. Every sin that you are struggling with, you will not experience condemnation for that. Paul here is trying to help us see and rooting and grounding our understanding that our justification is not rooted in how we perform and not in what we do. Notice how he he goes on in verse 3. How do we know there is no condemnation? Well, for God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Again, he's already been telling us about this, that we have been set free from the power and the dominion of sin through what Christ has done for us, through the work of the Spirit in us. Uh, But remember, uh, before, when Paul was telling us about how one comes to be justified, we're justified through faith in Jesus, not through what we've done. Your, Your progress in keeping God's law your progress or your advancement, your success in trying to obey God in order to earn a status or a relationship with Him is impossible. Notice even what, he, what Paul says here in verse 3. It took God doing something that the law couldn't do. The law had no power and it was weakened by our flesh, our inability to please God and to follow His law. So what happened? God acted. God did what we were unable to do. He sent His Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Remember, we're 
We've been talking about different times. Paul can use uh, this term flesh in different ways. Here in this context, he's using flesh to describe uh, that realm, uh, that experience that is dominated by sin, by the effects of still being in Adam. Not thinking about that that is associated with and connected with the world to come, that is dominated and empowered and led and controlled by the Spirit. But notice what what Paul says. God sent His Son taking on physical humanity, entering in to our broken and messed up and rebellious world. God recognized what we couldn't do, and so He acted Himself by sending His Son for us, taking on flesh, and notice why He sent His Son into the world. For sin. There, what Paul's referencing is a, a sacrifice, a death for sin. Why? Well, as he goes on, he explains to us. Because in Christ's death on the cross, He condemned sin in Christ's flesh. Here he's speaking about flesh as Christ's body. Do you understand what what Paul's saying? The reason you can have confidence, Christian, that there is no condemnation for you is because every sin that you struggle with has already been condemned. It's already been condemned in Jesus. When He died on the cross, He died for every sin you ever did commit or will commit. Christ suffered in your place. The the basis, the grounding of your relationship with God, the beginning of it, the continuation of it, the ultimate fulfillment of it, comes in Jesus and His finished work for you on the cross, it is never, has been, or ever will be rooted in what you do, how you progress, how successful you perceive yourself to be. Because every sin that you are struggling with now has been condemned in Jesus. It's what Christ has done for you. This is good news. As you consider and think about the sins that you are overwhelmed with, that continue to assault your heart and your mind, those that you are are battling and maybe seeking uh, many times, like Paul says, unsuccessfully uh, to overcome, unsuccessfully to resist. When you may begin to to wonder, is the fact that I haven't moved past this And this is the same thing I was struggling with when I was a teenager. It's still going on. Does this mean I'm in jeopardy of forfeiting my relationship with God? Paul says, no. You must remember your relationship and your connection, your justification before God is not dependent on your progress. It is rooted entirely and completely in what Jesus has done for you. You will never experience condemnation for your sin if you are in Christ. Because God condemned every one of your sins in Jesus. That's why He sent Him. And that's why He died. He suffered in your place. But this kind of brings up hopefully in our hearts 
a relief, a rejoicing that, that I'm not in danger of losing my salvation. I'm not in danger of losing my justification. In light of what Paul is saying, the penalty has been taken away in Jesus. The presence is still there, but that struggle, that struggle doesn't mean that God will reject me. In fact, as, as Paul goes on, what we're seeing is actually the battle, the struggle, the evidence of that in my life is a confirmation that the Spirit is at work in me. Here comes in the lazy river. I don't know if you've ever been to Great Wolf Lodge or any water park. Um, a key feature at all of these is the lazy river that's running through the middle of it. For those who are too tired of going down the big water slides or are too afraid to go down the big water slides, there's always the lazy river where you can go and do nothing. You just sit in your float and it continues to take you around the park over and over again. There's, there's basically two kind of participants in the lazy river. There's those who completely give themselves to just enjoying it and letting the river take them along, and they do absolutely nothing. They flow and go along with it, around and around and around and around. And then there's some other people who they haven't quite understood that it's a lazy river for a reason. The, the goal and the purpose, you're supposed to lay on the float and go with the flow of the current. But there's some people who, who seem to think this is some sort of exercise station. And they get in the lazy river and they're, they're going upstream. They're battling against the flow of this water that's supposed to be moving everybody this way. And they're maneuvering their way in between all of the rafts that are coming. And you can tell the people who once were at peace and enjoying their trip around are looking at these people like they're crazy. You're doing it all wrong. Who do you think you are? You're not supposed to battle against this. You're supposed to give yourself over to it and float along with it. Don't battle the lazy river. Just relax and let it take you where it will. See, in some ways, that's a, a picture of our existence of life in this world. All of us find ourselves really not in a lazy river, but in a raging river of sin. And we can give ourselves over to it and to be dominated, controlled, led, moved around our existence in the world by the power of that river. Or the other option is to, to battle and resist and go against it. And when you're doing that, it looks crazy from those who are, have given themselves along to it. But also sometimes, depending on the strength and the movement of that river, at times it can seem like you're making hardly any progress at all. You're battling, you're fighting, but it seems to be overwhelming and overcoming you. But notice, you aren't giving yourself over to it. It is not leading and empowering and controlling you. There's a battle going on. It does not dominate you. And that is what Paul is pointing us to here. 
The battle is good news. It's a sign that the Spirit is at work. Look again in verse 2. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Uh, Paul is saying, remember, the work of the Spirit in your life is one that has set you free from the dominion, from the control, from the power and the want, the inward controlling desire and imprisonment to sin. It's important as Paul points us back, remember, before you get completely overwhelmed and overcome by despair in the midst of the battle, remember what life was like outside of Christ. Remember what life was like before the Spirit brought you freedom. Notice what Paul tells us as he describes what life was like in the flesh or controlled and led by sin in the world. Again, look in verse uh, 5 or verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. He's going to make a contrast here. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. He goes on in verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. Verse 7. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Remember what life was like, Paul is is telling us. Remember what would be true of those who are in the flesh, those in whom the Spirit is not at work. You would be completely dominated by sin. You wouldn't desire or want to obey God at all. Remember, one of the consequences of us being in sin is that our wanter, our desirer in our heart is broken. You have a a broken wanter and you want the wrong things. You want what is contrary to God. And here, as Paul is telling us, we are enemies of God. So before, you were hostile. You were hostile to everything about God and His purposes in the world. He is the ruler. He is the creator. He is the king and we want nothing to do with that. As we hear and encounter His commands, it provokes within us a reaction and a response of nothing but rebellion. And even here, it, it tells us that we do not submit to God's law and we cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If the Spirit was not at work in you, there would be zero ability or desire to resist or go against the flow of sin, Paul is telling us here. Historically, theologically, the term that has been put to this is called total depravity. The fact that that sin has affected every aspect and thoroughly uh, worked itself into our lives and our hearts. And we have no ability in and of ourselves to please God. This is one of the reasons why, reflecting back on chapter 7 last week, we said that Paul is describing and talking about 
a believer who is struggling with sin. Because one who is still in the flesh is the person in the raft, in the tube, just floating down, letting, the, letting sin and the, the pleasures and the desires of this world lead. There is no desire to resist or to battle or fight. But for those who have different desires, those who, who want to obey God but find a struggle and a difficulty and an inability to do it, Paul says, take heart. For that is a sign. That is evidence. That is proof that the Spirit is at work in you. Because if the Spirit was not at work in you, if you were left to yourself, you would still be only hostile, only rebellious. You would not be able or even want to obey God at all. But that's not what is true of you, Christian, Paul says. That's not true of the one who has their faith and resting in Jesus. Notice again, here he's writing to this church in Rome, acknowledging their own struggle with sin. But notice what he, how he refers to them in verse 4. Uh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. What is true of us? Listen to the descriptor. Who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul is saying those who are in Christ, that language that has been coming up, are those who aren't dominated and controlled by the flesh. We're the ones who the Spirit is at work in. Again, notice the contrast. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but, believer, those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And he goes down in verse 9. You, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, and the way that he's asking that question in the original language would have, he's expecting a positive response. Yes, he does dwell in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Remember what Paul told us about the, the struggle and the life of a believer. There's a desire and a longing to obey God. There's a grief over sin and a deep longing in, in our hearts that things would be different. I want to obey God. I don't have the ability to enter myself. I'm overwhelmed by sin and I've come face to face with what I can't do against this. But I hate this sin. I may continue to find myself at times giving myself over to it. But what Paul is telling us here is that what is true of a believer is that your mind and your heart has been changed. You're not one who is hostile to God anymore. You're, you're one whose wanter has been changed and is being renewed and is being conformed to want and delight in the things that God would have you delight in. You are one who is battling and resisting and working itself against the flow of sin in the world and in your, in your life, seeking to pursue God. How is that possible? Not in anything you've done. It's because of what the Spirit has done. Again, notice the emphasis Paul puts in here over and over and over again that this is because of not what you are doing, not your strength, 
not your ability, but the Spirit's work in your life. The law, the Spirit of life has set you free. We're talking about one who is walking according to the Spirit or living according to the Spirit's direction. We're setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. We're there and setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. We're finding life. We're finding peace in our relationship with God. And when we find that and we see this evidence of the Spirit working in our lives, it should give us confidence. It should give us hope. Will we find success in every battle against sin that we encounter? No. We've already seen that. We are going to continue to exist with the presence of sin in our world and in our lives, Paul says. The penalty of sin has been broken or been taken away. Christ has brought a complete end to that. The power of sin has been broken. You've been set free through Christ and the work of His Spirit in, in your life that you can now resist. You can battle. You can, through the power of the Spirit, hop off of your little sin tube and begin to walk against and battle against the flow of the river. But the presence is still there. You're still in the river. It's all around you. Sometimes it gets in your eyes. You're choking it down your throat. You're coughing it out. But the desire, the longing, the heart is to pursue after God. And that, that is evident of the Spirit working in your life. Are you overwhelmed by your struggle with sin? Are you overwhelmed by your failures in this great battle? If you're grieving over that, if there's a desire and a longing in your heart to walk more consistently with God, know that comes from nowhere but from the Spirit of God at work in your heart. May that encourage you in your battle. God hasn't rejected you. The struggle and battle against sin doesn't mean that your justification hasn't taken root. In fact, it is evident that the Spirit is at work in you. And in fact, Paul continues to go on that we then should have reason to hope. Reason to hope in the midst of this battle. We can, we can begin to look forward to and anticipate and even expect progress in this battle against sin. Not because of what we're doing, but the Spirit's work in us. Notice uh, uh, that as chapter 7, where Paul is, is describing this battle against sin and this complete feeling of being able to, to, to resist and see victory or change come in his life, that's not the whole story. That is not the whole story of a believer's experience. Where did that struggle lead Paul? In verses 24 and 25, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He calls out. Who does he call out to? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He calls out to the Father, hoping and resting in what the Son has done for him. And then here we see Paul pointing and directing us to rely on what the Spirit is doing in our lives. And in fact, we see him bring our attention back to that again. Remember, Christ died. We've talked about this before. 
He died to deliver us and save us from something. What was that? Our sin. The wrath of God. Sin's power and domination over us. He died to save us and bring us to something. What? A renewed and changed relationship with Him. But He also saved us for something. You notice how Paul points us to what it is that God saved us for? Look in verses 3 and 4. God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul is saying that one of the, the purposes and the reasons that God the Father sent the Son in order for Him to die and for sin to be condemned, your sin to be condemned in Him, but also to bring you freedom and that the Spirit would be poured out in your heart and in your life so that righteousness that is yours in Jesus would begin to show itself forth. That the law in and of yourself that you had no power and ability to live out, that now through the work of the Spirit in your life, you are beginning to see it fulfilled. You are beginning to see progress and growth and change. Paul is pointing us here to that hope. And it's, it's this righteousness that is demonstrated in us. It's been declared of us in Christ, but through the work of the Spirit, it's showing itself up in our lives. This, this should be no surprise that we would expect to see m- progressive, ongoing progress in the Christian life. Because notice who Paul is saying is at work and who is operative in the life of the believer. The full resources of the triune God. Father, Son, and Spirit. Wretched, hopeless, helpless man in and of myself that I am, who will deliver me? God the Father will deliver me. Through the work of God the Son, And the ongoing, empowering, changing, renewing, sanctifying presence of the Spirit. Again, Paul points us to what God has done in verse 3. God did what the law couldn't do. Why couldn't the law do anything? Because of our weakness. But God the Father sent the Son. And in the Son, our sin was condemned. But then the Spirit is at work moving and changing us. Should we not expect... If the triune God is operative and working and delights to change and move in our hearts, that we would begin to see progress, that we would see victory, uh, that, that we would expect to and anticipate seeing growth in our life. We're not going to completely live uh, thinking that sin is the one that is still in control, that it is the powerful one. Paul is telling us here we have something to hope for because this deliverer that we're calling out to is the powerful one. This deliverer that we're calling out to isn't reluctant to work in the hearts and the lives of his people. He has been doing it, he is doing it, and he will be. Do not, do not despair. Do not give up in your struggle against sin. Now, if you were left to yourself and I was left to myself, you might as well throw the towel in now. There is no hope. But it's not left to you. 
God is at work in our hearts and our lives. We should flee to and take advantage of the full resources of the infinite, eternal, all-powerful, loving, triune God who is at work and has come to dwell and reside in you. Notice, that's what Paul says here. You are not the... uh, uh, You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you and His anticipated answer is, and yes, He does. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But listen to this good news in 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. Do you you understand implications of this? The Spirit of the living God dwells in you. Should we not expect to see evidence of His house-cleaning work? of His sanctifying and holy-making power in our lives? Does this mean we'll experience perfection? No. Paul's been clear about that. Remember, we we can't forget about the end of chapter 7. Sin's presence is still here. The penalty of sin has been taken away. The power of sin has been defeated. But the presence is still here. That's why we can have hope now, but our ultimate longing and confidence is in the future. And notice, that's what Paul's telling here. He's telling us about the life. Remember, the resurrecting work of the Spirit is at work in our lives now. When Christ died, you died to sin. When Christ rose, you rose, and His his resurrection power and life is still in you. But here, Paul is also pointing us now to the hope of resurrection, to the day when this fleshly body, an experience in this world that is still affected by the power of sin will be delivered. And 10, again, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Our experience now, physically and spiritually, shows us that the redemption that Jesus has secured for us has not fully come to bear. Is your body breaking down? Is your vision going? Is your knee not working like it did when you were in high school? You have, did you used to, when you played sports, you didn't need to stretch? You could just go and do whatever you wanted? And wake up the next morning and be fine? Wait till you get to be 35 or 40. You got to stretch or you're done for the next week. Got any doctor's reports this week? How's your heart holding up? Your breathing? Your immune system working as well as it did when you were younger? Are you continuing to see evidence with each year? And with each birthday and with each candle added to that cake that you blow out is one more year that you are closer to your death. Our bodies are disintegrating. 
deteriorating. Why? We still live in a world that hasn't been ultimately redeemed and restored by Jesus. Do you continue to battle against sin? Yes. Why? Because our heart hasn't been fully and completely changed. This world hasn't been completely restored. We still can sin, but the day is coming when Jesus returns and the consummation of His kingdom comes. And this body that once was broken and could decay will be given over to immortality. We will live forever. Our broken bodies of flesh will be like Christ's resurrected, glorified body. We'll dwell with Him here on this earth forever. And at that point, the lazy river will be drained. The lazy river of sin will be drained. And guess what it'll be filled with? Water of life that flows from God's throne. And at that point, everybody in the river will only be resting in it and being carried along and flowing with it. There will be no desire or longing of anybody in that river to hop off of the tube and go the opposite direction because it'll be so strong, so refreshing, so renewing, and your heart will be completely transformed that there will be no more battle against sin because it will have been completely defeated. That's what we long for. That's what we hope for. And it's in light of that surety and the evidence now, the down payment of that ultimate redemption is the work of the Spirit in your life now. Believer, do not give up. Do not despair. Your salvation, your justification is based on what Jesus has done for you. Your sin's already been condemned in Him. But the battle rages on and the Spirit is at work now and He's bringing ultimate restoration and renewal of all things. It's the good news of the Gospel. Fight, battle, resist with all the resources that your triune God brings to bear in your life. This is why He saved us. Let's pray. God, we thank You for the good news of the Gospel. We thank You for the hope that we have of redemption and freedom and salvation in Christ. We pray that You would give us confident hope to resist and battle and fight in the power of the Spirit, confident of the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus.